Welcome to BIV Today, the daily podcast from the newsroom of Business in Vancouver. I'm Kirk LaPointe, Editor-in-Chief. Monday's election caps a campaign in which there has been surprisingly little discussion about the economy and its direction, in particular, how parties might deal with an economic downturn in the term ahead. There's been talk about varying approaches to taxation with a typical focus on the perceived middle class, but not a lot else. The Business Council of British Columbia has surveyed its members about what its priorities have been in both in this campaign and for the time ahead. And they're in some stark difference from what the campaign has heard. My guest today is Greg Davignon. He's the president and CEO of the BCBC. Good to have you back on the podcast. Thanks a lot, Greg. Well, thanks so much for having me this morning. Listen, uh, let's talk a little bit about the scope of the survey. Who was asked what? Well, our membership is comprised largely of the largest employers in the province of BC in every sector of the economy. And uh, we had almost 50% of our senior leadership, CEOs um, in the C-suite, um, uh, leaders in those companies respond to a survey we put out just as the election started. And we wanted to really test two things. One is, what are the issues that the business community and business leaders that look at not just British Columbia, but Canada and the international economy, uh, what are the priorities that parties should be looking at? And then secondly, looking forward, uh, just to gauge their level of optimism uh, in the Canadian economy generally. Mm-hmm. And uh, the, it was very interesting findings, you know, some of which won't be surprised to some of your listeners around issues that are important, not just to business, but I think to the kitchen table as well. But um, we were a little bit surprised, frankly, around some of the pessimism uh, and the outlook for the Canadian economy generally. Yeah, yeah. I want to get into that as, as we have a discussion. But the priority, the priority issue is something that I haven't heard, I think, one word about in this campaign. You know, it's, it's, it's fixing the tax system. Well, it's, it's an interesting topic and typically not something that people would have been sitting around the Thanksgiving table talking about. And while the parties uh, have been talking about spending billions, in fact, hundreds of billions of dollars collectively on how to make life better, seemingly, for individuals, it has been the Seinfeld of elections when you look at it through the lens of how do we create wealth through a vibrant and growing and competitive economy. It's really been about nothing. And while we've talked about tax cuts and punishing the rich and all those kinds of things in this campaign, what's been missing is really the fact that Canada has a tax system that is antiquated and was well-suited for the 1950s. And in fact, in BC, we've got a tax system that is almost the same today as it was when the Queen was a princess. Mm-hmm. But federally, where our tax system really matters, both for small and large businesses, we haven't had a thorough and thoughtful review of that tax system since before the finance minister, Bill Morneau, was born. Mm-hmm. And uh, as we all know, the economy and particularly the way that taxes apply have changed dramatically. We've moved in that period of time to a service economy and a digital economy. My kids, um, uh, late teens, early 20s, used to go to the video store to purchase games, and now they download them online. Um, When you talk to retailers, 30% of their sales are digitally online. You know in the media business that... um, If I were to take an ad out through a print uh, uh, publication, say to hire somebody new for a firm, I would pay tax. But um, if I do that digitally, I don't. So there's a bunch of distortions that we're not capturing the revenue side in a way that is consistent with the economy and how it's going today, let alone tomorrow. Sorry, go ahead. 
sorry, no, go ahead. I was going to say the flip side is we've got an aging demographic that are going to demand um, more services from government, but contributing less. So in the 1970s, we had about 7.2 people working for every person age 65 and older. And in the next couple of years, we're going to have 2.3 people working for every person mm-hmm. over 65. Now, people working longer, but there's a much smaller tax base. And Canada generally has a heavier reliance on personal income tax than most OECD countries. Is this a case, though, uh, Greg, where business is looking for business advantage in the tax system? Or is it just an, a more comprehensive review to, frankly, catch up? Well, I think it's a bit of both. We're looking at it through the lens uh, that says, how can we become a competitive economy? And most importantly, the most productive economy we possibly can. And the reality is that we've done a bunch of work on this at the Business Council. Over the last few decades, um, our productivity per person uh, has gone from about 2.3% per annum which means that individual income was doubling every uh, 33 years. To last year, it's gone to 0.05%, which means that it's doubling now every 140 years. Mm-hmm. And so what it means is that my children's grandchildren will have a better quality of life than I do. And so that isn't about us working harder. It's about us working smarter. So part of the tax review, if we want to have higher incomes and deal with affordability, um, we've got to start to invest in productivity-enhancing capital. Uh, we're today in British Columbia, as an example, investing about 50 cents for every U.S. dollar in productivity-enhancing capital. We're not investing in technology. Uh, and all of those things have a longer-term uh, deleterious impact on business competitiveness, the ability for firms to grow, for them to invest in innovation and research and development. And ultimately, it erodes the uh, robustness of the economy over time. And yeah. we're just seeing now some net negative investment patterns in Canada, generally in BC specifically. Well, in in recent weeks, you've also released a report, a bit, a bit of a scorecard on on what uh, what our British Columbian economy is like. And two areas that popped out in your new survey are, of course, uh, themes from that survey as well, which have to do with uh, both innovation and investment. What would you say are, are the uh, principal concerns there of, of the business community? Well, I mean, the business community has to have some ownership of this as well. Um, ultimately, we've got to focus on how, as a business community writ large, uh, we start to invest in, in technology and productivity enhancing capital in a way that we can compete globally. Part of the challenge we've got is we have um, a number of very small firms, and we celebrate small business quite well in this country. And in fact, in many instances, if you're successful and grow, we punish it by higher taxes and more complexity to doing business. Um, and that's you know part of the reality of a tax review is that our small tax act, if you get to above a certain threshold, um, the strategy is, well, I just set up another company to disperse my income across um, multiple business sets as opposed to thinking about how do I scale businesses to really get into global supply chains, to get into uh, trading markets, and to be able to have the scale and scope to compete. You know, we did some work on this last year, as you know, and, and uh, in British Columbia, we've got just over 400,000 companies, and all but 7,900 have fewer than 50 employees. Mm-hmm. And what that means is they are, they're handcuffed to a certain extent in their ability 
to um, invest in those productivity enhancing uh, tools necessary. Uh, it could be ICT and other technologies. And the consequence of that is that uh, we fall further behind global competitors in the marketplace. In fact, Canada and New Zealand are the two outliers in the OECD around having, uh, over the last 10 years, negative uh, growth and productivity compared to other jurisdictions using the U.S. as the as the benchmark. Every other jurisdiction uh, improved compared to Canada and New Zealand. There's a, those are two areas that you feel business needs to take some ownership. But the, the fourth area that I saw in the survey is one where it, it can point the finger, and that has to do with red tape, organizational hurdles, regulation that that doesn't appear to be sensible from a business perspective. What clarity do you think business is seeking there? Well, I think we've lost our way on regulation. I think there's a general political belief that regulation is free. And the reality is it's a drag on the economy in terms of the time and money it takes to get things done. Uh, whether I'm in the construction business where it can take six to eight years to get something built in Metro Vancouver, that just adds additive costs to the price of housing and or mitigates profitability for firms to reinvest back into new projects. But the, that is true of also on our uh, natural resources and energy sectors, which provide 75% of our merchandise exports. That's the things that really pay the bills. And uh, if you look at a couple of different metrics in terms of measurement on the OECD as an example, of the 34 nations internationally, we're 33rd out of 34th on the time it takes to get a building permit. We're almost four times longer than the United States. We're double the time it takes in France. I didn't even think that was possible. And so the context of all of that is that we've lost our way and got very good at process without outcome as opposed to the outcome through an efficient process. And so that was the number four um, priority coming out of the uh, CEOs and C-suite that we canvassed, is that we need to look at outcome-based regulation. What is it we're trying to do and how do we ensure that we do that really efficiently? Not to cut corners, um, but to do it transparently and effectively. And there's lots of models out in the global marketplace where we can get things done. So you feel it is possible. It's it's not a, these aren't, uh, mutually exclusive concepts? No, they're not. Uh, in fact, there's some pockets of the economy that we have outcome-based regulation, but uh, they're few and far between. And the reality is that with technology today, uh, you can add clear transparency and efficiency using things like LIDAR, uh, satellite, and other sensing technologies to ensure that companies are complying with the regulatory requirements in the public interest. Mm-hmm. And those are the kinds of things that we need to be thinking about. How do we use technology uh, that we use in the rest of our life to actually support an economy that can be more efficient and more effective? Yeah. And in doing so, if we can be efficient, uh, it attracts capital because capital goes to where uh, there's clarity and ease of investment going forward, particularly in our natural resource and permanent economy. Uh, a top three issue, depending on whose poll you read, uh, is one that made the top five here, and that has to do with climate change. The focus here, mm-hmm. though, uh, that, I, that I saw in, in your release is that business is looking for what it calls an effective and credible policy around climate change. What does that entail, do you think? Well, we've been doing quite a bit of work on this, both with Canada and the province of BC, and sometimes we get caught up in the climate debate in a very myopic way. So British Columbia is a huge geography that's complex. It's the size of Germany, Norway, and the UK combined. But we have a very small population. 
And our emissions, for example, in total are about 64 million tons of carbon. That's about a quarter of the growth that China experienced in its emissions uh, increases just last year alone. Mm-hmm. Now, that's not to say we shouldn't do anything, but the question is, how can we have a bigger impact globally to reducing climate change? Um, if we were all 5 million people were to leave British Columbia, the province would still suffer the effects of climate change in terms of uh, weather events and in terms of species and um, other changes to the ecosystem of the province. But we wouldn't have made a material difference globally as the world transitions to a low-carbon economy. So we've been doing some work looking at, for example, what are the advantages we have in British Columbia and how can we actually use them to contribute to a lower carbon world and also create wealth and opportunity for British Columbians and Canadians and also drive innovation? And you'd think, well, that's boiling the ocean, but they're not mutually exclusive. So I'll give you an example. We looked at our forest sector, aluminum, um, net coal, copper, upstream oil and gas, LNG, pulp and paper. And combined, those sectors make up the bulk of our exports, which really pay the bills. What we found, though, is that on average, combined, those commodity groups are half the GHG intensity of the products that we compete against globally. Mm. And it adds up to about 18 million tons. So in other words, if you actually wanted to make a, a profound difference to global climate, you'd be buying more BC products. And the reason that we're good at that is a myriad of reasons. Some of it's geological dumb luck. But, uh, you know, we've got one of the cleanest electrical grids in the province. We have very low uh, methane emissions because we capture them from our oil and gas sector. We have well-established infrastructures. There's a myriad of things that combine contribute to that low-carbon intensity. And so how do we go and create supply chains that uh, with countries that have huge emissions growth like China, Japan, Korea, and others and become the supplier of choice? to solve their problems. And then how do we reinvest some of those uh, profits and returns back into technologies like carbon sequestration and use, methane capture, some of the technology sensing that I talked about earlier that can create new companies and own the low carbon environment of the future. How do we make sure that in a way it isn't getting the province off the hook? Well, the the reality is is that uh, we have an obligation as part of Canada to meet our obligations under Paris. And so it all comes back to, are you an attractive place to invest capital? And right now, uh, while we have this big carbon advantage because of the fact that our regulation burden is high, because our tax system is misaligned with attracting capital, we do have uncertainty issues with um, indigenous uh, reconciliation in the province. That uncertainty means that you're less likely to invest capital in British Columbia. Mm-hmm. And while we have a carbon tax and the Business Council supports that, we're also the only place in the world that doesn't provide protections for trade-exposed industries, meaning um, when I go to market with a BC product, I've got carbon tax built into the price that the world sets, and I've got no way to pull that back out, whereas everyone else in the world has that tax pulled out of their their commodity, meaning that we're at a disadvantage going to the marketplace. Exactly. And so some of those tax issues are real, and they can be up to 80% differential between a product here compared to the same product that Russia or China or Latin America or New Zealand or Australia are shipping into the global marketplace. So it's about being smart. And, and having the ability to attract that investment so that we're a first quartile performer 
And that investment then leads to new incremental investments to reduce emissions that uh, use electrification. Our port, for example, could be using the LNG bunkering rather than diesel bunkering. Um, that would cut significantly um, by almost two-thirds emissions in global shipping fleets. There's a myriad of those kinds of things that we could do that would ultimately benefit British Columbia's emission profile, but ultimately the world. Let's let's um, conclude the conversation a bit here with uh, with a bit of a look at what has and hasn't happened in this campaign. What, what does it say about the campaign that there hasn't been a thoroughgoing discussion about the same about the issues that we've just spent 15 minutes on here? Well, I mean, I think we've um, devolved into political campaigns that are not uncommon uh, anywhere else in the world. They're very uh, parochial. They're very targeted around segments of vote that you need to try to secure a majority government. And you see these boutique uh, policy matters focused on very small segments of the population to bring them on board. It's, you know, quite frankly, it's been going on in politics for 100 years. Uh, you know, there's blacktop politics in the 1950s where your roads would get paved as a result of, mm-hmm. uh, yeah. of a particular party in power uh, trying to garner your vote. It's just becoming more targeted and more sophisticated today. What it does, though, in my view, and this is, I think, uh, consistent with most of the federal parties in this election campaign, they vacated the playing field of leadership to provide a vision for what Canada is and what Canada could be. And instead, we talk about what Canada isn't and what we need to be doing to address some of the challenges that people have. And that's not to diminish the people's challenges, but if you just focus on the micro, you'll never get to the conditions necessary to solve those problems. All you're doing is putting a Band-Aid on them, in my view. What Did you hear anything at all in this campaign from any of the parties about what they might do in the event of an economic downturn after this election? Yeah, we follow it fairly closely. I... Uh, it hasn't been a topic uh, of conversation that I have seen. It's not to say that it hasn't happened. Um, it's interesting because in the middle of this campaign, I don't think there's been any coverage. Uh, the World Economic Forum Competitiveness Report just came out, and we dropped again as Canada from number 12 to number 14. We were in the top eight not too long ago. Um, we dropped 18 points to 62nd. Uh, in the competitiveness of our service economy, which is really troubling because generally two-thirds of our economy is based on services. Uh, we're 32nd in terms of our implementation of, of uh, ICT. Um, and so there hasn't been any of that conversation going on. Uh, the new head of the IMF just a week ago talked about the fact that we are in a global economic slowdown. Yeah. Uh, and you just need to open up your publication and any other in the world Uh, and look at the geopolitical and economic turmoil on China trade, uh, on uh, uh, Turkey and the Kurds in the Middle East, um, and on and on and on. And the consequence is all of that is having a huge drag on the global economy. U.S. numbers out today is uh, U.S. consumers took a, a break in September. And when the consumer stops spending, that starts to foretell, um, uh, economic downturn coming. And we've been talking about this for some time. We're about to downgrade our economic outlook for British Columbia going forward. And, and certainly uh, the Bank of Canada has done that over the last few months, but it's been deafeningly silent in this campaign that we're about to head into probably one of the um, first slowdowns we've had since the 08-09 recession. Yeah. 
One area that I think will linger, of course, after Monday's vote is is whether there is uh, a minority coalition of some sort uh, and all that. Mm-hmm. What what will that do in terms of influencing these factors that we've discussed today around areas like innovation, uh, investment, uh, just taking a look at, at some of the priorities around taxation? Do all of these get do all of these stall a bit as as we get some political clarity in the country? Yeah, my, my record for prognostication isn't all that great, but I'll, I'll take your, your thesis that if we have a minority government, I mean, we've had those before, as you know, under the Harper era, under Paul Martin, uh, we've had coalition governments going back to the First World War. But in all of those, um, it typically they were ad hoc uh, minority governments were on an issue by issue basis. The government of the day, um, being a minority, would look for support among the House of Commons. Um, I think we're in a bit of a different era. Um, that was an era largely where there was a three-party system. Uh, today, you know, you look at the debates and you see the um, polls where the bloc is surging in Quebec. You've got the Green Party that is now a national player, although probably from a seat perspective, local. And so I think a fragmented house is going to be much more complicated to actually focus on things that matter, mm-hmm. and particularly at a time when the economy is slowing. And so my s- suspicion is that the focus will be for whichever party is close. How do we actually position ourselves to get elected in a next 12 to 18 month period of time? And as a consequence, there's going to be a conversation going on within five square kilometers of Ottawa. Um, <laughs> five that, square blocks, that even. Will be yeah, a, yeah. <laughs> potentially, yeah. Uh, that will be a bit devoid, I think, of some of the realities on the ground that we're seeing, not just in British Columbia, but across the country, where there's a, a fairly high level of of concern. And we saw that in our poll, where over 40% of the respondents were quite pessimistic on the uh, prospects of the Canadian economy going forward, about 25% neutral, and only 28% somewhat optimistic or very optimistic. So yeah. it, it, it's a concerning point where people that have their hands on the levers of capital are concerned and pessimistic, uh, yet we're not talking about how do we prepare for that downturn coming along, particularly when, as a country, uh, we've been spending at a clip that is reminiscent of the kind of spending you have when you're in a recession, not when you're in a, a robust, vibrant economy like we've had over the last five years. And yeah. so how much room is there left in the cupboard, I think, would be the other question. Yeah. Last point. Do you think we're going to look back on this election campaign as one of a fair amount of lost opportunity to have these kinds of discussions? Well, it, it's it's my view that Canada is at a real nexus in the next five years. Um we have such a wealth of opportunity. We have amazing talent, natural resources, innovation, and um, promise. And we just don't seem to be concerned or we are complacent about how we actually use all of those attributes in a world that's becoming much more competitive and much more complex. Isn't that because the and economy I, appears to be functioning relatively well and people yeah, don't don't have a concern a of- about the business climate? They, this just seems to be a... a a steady accretion of of uh, of what we've seen in the last number of years. I think so. I think you know we've had a in BC we've had uh, the last, three the last five years one of the most robust economies in North America. So I, I think there's that paradox that's that's uh, compounding the issue. But it's a little bit like uh, 
you know, owning a car or owning a house, if you don't do regular maintenance and think about how that asset's going to um, uh, hold up over the course of time uh, and just neglect it, one day it stops working or you get a leak in the roof or it breaks down. And I'm just worried that um, we have so much promise and opportunity as I said earlier, around being a low-carbon supplier to the world, around being a driver of the next innovations in a low-carbon economy, around the talent that we have in the rest of the world uh, literally is coming to our doorstep to access. And um, we just don't seem urgent enough, uh, like other jurisdictions around the world, to take advantage of it. I'm not projecting doom and gloom, but uh, you know, it's a slow atrophy that we're going to wake up one day and wonder why the quality of life that we have enjoyed uh, continues to erode. Well, let's try to cut it off there before we get much more depressed about all this. But, but it's, it's always good talking to you, Greg. Thanks a lot for your time today. Well, thanks so much for having me on. I appreciate it. Greg Davignon is the president and CEO of the Business Council of British Columbia. You've been listening to BIB Today. I'm Kirk LaPointe. Thanks a lot for listening.